reading chapter 4, verse 21, and read through to verse 31. And then we'll dive in. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Hallelujah. Okay, so I know I was kind of reading through that there thinking, my word, that's quite chewy stuff, isn't it? Uh, there aren't many verses that jump off the page really and kind of grab you, I think, by the spiritual, I don't know, whatever it's supposed to grab you by. But anyway, I will attempt over the next 25 minutes to open that up for you. And I think you'll see there's some tremendous truth in there. Then about you, we, we've now completed reading four chapters of Galatians. And it seems to me that Paul is determined to deal with this feisty and decisive problem that, that is threatening the church in that region. And he wants to deal with it once and for all. And the issue in summary in verse 21, you who desire to be under the law. And of course, there were a group of false teachers called Judaizers that were trying to, to, to drag and suck that those Galatian Christians back under the law. Now, the, the word under, it, it doesn't necessarily talk about, about obeying the principles of the law. The principles of the law are good. What it means is it means those who rely upon the law for their standing with God. The, the people who are making the law the framework for their life and for their faith. So, mixing my metaphors here with the surgical skill of a lawyer, Paul presents one final exhibit for the defense. And he presents the pivotal story, one of the pivotal stories from Hebrew history, that of Abraham's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
One by a slave woman, Hagar, and one by a free woman, Sarah. But the son of the slave, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman, Isaac, was born through promise. So, so the reader here is essentially presented with a choice, a choice between Hagar, the slave, and Sarah, the free, but between flesh and promise, between Isaac and Ishmael, and all of the, that those pairs represent. Paul, Paul explains that this situation could be seen as an allegory. I'm sure you know an allegory is a story underneath or behind which there is some form of, of hidden meaning. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. One is from Mount Sinai, where the law came from, if you remember, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is where the, the Ishmaelites settled, actually. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, heavenly Jerusalem, is free. She is our mother. So essentially, Paul's asking a question here. The question is, who is your mother? Are you children of the slave woman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael? Or are you children of the free woman, Sarah and her son, Isaac. And, and the answer to that question? Well, as far as the Judaizers were concerned, yes, absolutely. They were sons of Sarah. They were descendants of Isaac. They were children of Abraham's promise. And in their view, their faithfulness to Jewish law was absolute proof of just that. But in this passage, Paul lights the touch paper. It's almost as if he was trying to insult them into waking up. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which was them, for she is in slavery with her children. So, so Paul is saying here that if you choose to line yourself up with the present Jerusalem, with its laws, with, it, with its dead religion, actually you are still functionally in slavery. And you are therefore, in effect, children of Hagar. So, so by re-surrendering yourself to living under law, you're placing yourself back under oppressive and unnecessary bondage. And here's the question, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that when you could be living in freedom, next chapter, verse 1, when you could be living in the freedom that comes through faith in Jesus Christ? You think you're a child of Sarah, but everything you are doing is pointing in the opposite direction. That's the context, that's, that's the allegory that, that Paul uses as his final witness for, for the defense 
of the true gospel. And of course, this whole Isaac and Ishmael story is rich in significance, as Paul's Jewish readers would have been only too aware. But this story was pivotal in Jewish cultural history, pivotal in Jewish religious history. It was a decisive turning point. Controversial, but critical. And do you know what? The aftermath of those decisions was still haunting them to that day. So we're going to look this morning at that story. It's found in Genesis chapter 12 all the way through to chapter 21, really. And if you remember, if you can cast your mind back, the story starts and hinges on a pivotal promise. God had called Abraham, as he was named then, to leave his hometown, which was Ur. And as he gave him that that, uh, call, he made this promise. In Genesis 12, verse 2, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Sounds great. And we know that that is the the birthing moment, both of, of the nation of Israel, but also God's redemption plan for the whole of humanity. However, however, there was one major problem. There was a serious flaw in the plan. There was one seemingly immovable object. And that is that Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, was not only childless, but she was well past, well past childbearing age. And to be barren, as they called it, in those days was seen as a, as a heinous curse. It was seen as a disgrace. You were considered punished by God. Certainly a very long way from, I will bless you. And of course, it goes without saying that if there is no son and heir, that rather wrecks your chances of becoming the father of a great nation. Ten years later, the promised son had still not arrived. And Sarah, who was well, well past childbearing age by this stage, understandably became impatient. You know what? There was an option. Abraham could marry Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian maid, to see if she could produce a son and an heir for Abraham. Now, we'd kind of shake our heads at that, wouldn't we? But, you know, we have to understand that that was culturally acceptable in that day. Now, not biblically acceptable. We understand that. Marriage has always been between a man and a woman. It's a monogamous, faithful marriage is the Bible way. But in that culture, this was a widely uh, practiced practice. So, with that in mind, in Genesis 16... Uh, tells us that Abraham was 86 at this point when Hagar became pregnant. 
And soon thereafter, Sarah, don't forget that this whole thing was Sarah's idea. Sarah became jealous and threw Hagar out of the family home. But uh, the Lord intervened and sent Hagar back to Abraham's household and promised to take care both of her, her and of her son. Nine months later, Ishmael was born. Then the time clock rolls forward another 13 years. And Abraham, by this point, is 99. And God spoke to him once again and reiterated that original promise. Now we're in Genesis 17, verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And Asian nations. Kings shall come from you. Down to verse 15. As for Sarah, your wife, you are not to call her Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And at this point, Abraham famously laughed, and so that son was named Isaac, which, which means he laughed. Isaac was born, and as the story rolls on, when Isaac was old enough, Ishmael began to persecute him. And so much to his sadness, Abraham finally exiled Hagar once and for all, along with his firstborn, Ishmael, who would have been about 17 at that time. That's the story. As I said just now, that story carried great significance from numerous angles. First of all, we know that Abraham's family would be the line through Isaac, which would eventually lead to Jesus the Messiah. Not only that, there's, there's a great deal of prophetic symbolism sprinkled throughout the story. Both Abraham and Isaac are considered to be types of Christ. In other words, there are numerous clever little details that tell us more about who Jesus would be and more about what Jesus would do. Think about the amazing story coming up in a few chapters of, of Abraham nearly sacrificing Isaac, his miracle son, and then God himself providing the lamb. Typology is fascinating stuff. What else can we learn? What else is the significance? Well, we're going to look at two comparisons. The two comparisons are this. Hagar represents law, and Sarah represents grace. Ishmael represents flesh, and Isaac represents the spirit. And those two themes are taken through, actually, into Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. So, Hagar was a slave woman, we know that, and she represents bondage. She, she represents the, the, the old Jerusalem in legalistic bondage. She represents the old covenant of law made on Mount Sinai. She represents salvation by, by fleshly works. She represents self-righteousness. Hagar represents the best that we, humanity, can do. And ultimately, 
She represents rejection by Abraham. So her son Ishmael was born out of impatience and disobedience. The work of human flesh. And so he was born into slavery and oppression. Contrast that with Sarah. Sarah was a free woman. And she represents liberty and joy in Christ. The new heavenly Jerusalem signifying eternal hope and freedom and inheritance. She represents the new covenant, the work of the Spirit. She represents salvation by grace, justification by faith. And ultimately, she represents the promises of Abraham. And so her son Isaac was was born of the Spirit from from supernatural seed, and he was born into freedom, and he was born into inheritance. Now, those two sons represent our two births. Ishmael represents our first birth, our physical birth that makes us sinners. Isaac represents our new birth, our spiritual birth that makes us children of God. Ishmael forever represents what flesh can produce. The results of impatience, the results of a lack of trust, the results of a reliance not on God, but on man's alternative efforts. Isaac, however, represents what spirit can produce. Waiting, trusting, standing on the promises of God and allowing God to provide supernaturally. And so with that in mind, here's Paul's message to the Galatian believers. Verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Amen. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac. So also it is now. Judaizers versus these young, naive, faithful Christians. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Judaizers, cast them out. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Of course, this situation back in Genesis created a conflict between Hagar and Sarah and then a conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. And that leads to to Paul's imperative here, cast out the slave woman and her son. And so we shouldn't be surprised about three corresponding conflicts that we also face repeatedly. Three conflicts. Number one, Ishmael's will always persecute Isaac's. Of course, in Paul's day, the the Judaizers were were persecuting the Gentile converts. In any day, self-righteous legalists will always persecute the children of grace. This conflict is inevitable. 
second conflict. And this is where we head, as I, as I hinted in Galatians 5, Galatians 6. There is an ongoing tension in all of us between flesh and spirit. You see, flesh and spirit, as we'll read, by definition, tug in opposite directions. One takes you towards God's spirit, and the other tugs you away from God, which is flesh. And so flesh will always lead you into pride. It leads you into fear and anger. Whereas spirit will lead you beside still waters, into green pastures, along paths of righteousness. And the third conflict is the conflict between legalism and grace. That They were right in the middle of that in Paul's day. And legalism and grace just do not and cannot mix. You see, legalism will cause you frustration and disappointment. Whereas grace will bring you peace and joy. Legalism will produce dead works. Grace will produce life and fruit. And the more you confuse the two of those, legalism and grace, the more you confuse them, the more of a muddle you will get yourselves into. Paul's message, as we mature, legalism must die. Grace must come to life. Legalism must be taken off. Grace, like new clothing, must be put on. I do what these three conflicts summarize the whole content of this letter to the churches in Galatia. And as I said, Paul goes into more practical detail of all of that in chapters five and chapter six, which we have to get excited about because it's coming next week. Okay, so let's, let's kind of finish this off. I want to look at three traps that Abraham and Sarah fell into because I think they serve as very useful, practical applications for us in our Christian lives. We're talking here about three times or three ways that they chose flesh over spirit. Three ways they inadvertently delayed the promise. Remember the promise? All hinges on the promise. And you know what? There are three traps here that I know are very tempting for all of us. So I'll lay those out, and then we'll use those for our response in a few minutes. So trap number one. Don't nod at me too heavily if you've ever fallen into this trap. Perhaps you never have. Trap number one is the impatience trap. Nah, surely not. This one goes something like this. God is taking too long. He could do with a bit of my help. Poor old God up there. Really could do with a bit of Jamie's help. Of course, this is exactly the trap that Abraham and Sarah fell into. God's just taking too long. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I'm confident that we fall into this trap all the time, usually without realizing it, probably until it's too late. I can, I can make that delayed dream happen. I could, I could prize open that door of opportunity. I can, I can manipulate them into my point of view. 
that that one little compromise should get me there just a little bit faster. But here's what we know. God's timing is always perfect. Yes, we know this. We know this. But was Abraham prepared to wait 14 more years? I struggled to wait 14 more minutes. Moral of the story, the impatience trap. It is always so much better to wait for God's timing and to resist that temptation to rush, to resist the temptation to cut corners, maybe to settle for second best. And that first trap leads in a dead straight line towards trap number two. Trap number two is the I've got a good idea trap. Here's the key question. You've heard this, you've been hanging around church circles long enough, you've heard this one. Does it, is it a good idea or is it a God idea? I wonder how much easier, church, could we make it for ourselves if we stop wasting time with good ideas or just plain bad ideas and be prepared to wait for the God ideas. Again, this is back to the principle of, of flesh seed against spirit seed. So it could have been argued that Abraham sleeping with Hagar was a good idea. In reality, actually, it was a very, very, very bad idea. But fortunately, God is faithful. And in the end, he did get them back round to his good idea. Thinking about this. Subconsciously, subconsciously, I think sometimes we just decide that God's way is too hard. God's way is too hard, but you know what? My good idea is a reasonable attempt. It'll get, it'll get me quite close. It's certainly better than nothing, certainly better than waiting here in my prayer closet for the next 14 years. And you know what? That's okay if you are prepared to settle for the best you can do flesh seed when instead you could have the best he can do with spirit seed. Trap number three. Trap number three is the I can do it myself trap. Do you know what? God is, God is using the circumstances of your life, pretty and ugly, successes and failures, He's using them to teach you to lean on him. He's teaching you to stand on his promises. Keep thinking of that story. So to live by faith, to draw on grace, led by the Holy Spirit. You know, as we know, the world teaches you and is proud of it, teaches you self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Sounds great. But the word, you know, leads us into God sufficiency and Holy Spirit reliance. And the reality is you may well be able to do it yourself, 
but that will never take you into the fullness of all God has for you. You see, what God does always comes from supernatural seed. And I reckon the main obstacle to that, the main obstacle to the outworking of that is our own tendency to meddle, our own tendency to push or, or to compromise in trying to fix it or force it ourselves. Never really works. You know, here's a, here's a key line. God wants to spark his purposes. But to reap that harvest, we are going to need his seed. Abraham learned these lessons the hard way. We too need to learn to trust God. We need to learn to wait and not to push. We need to remember the promises of God, even though it may seem as though they were spoken 30 years ago, and not allow ourselves to be distracted by the ways of the world. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And do you know what? You never know. God might sow a seed that leads to the forming of a nation, the birth of a baby in a manger, and the salvation of the whole world. Amen. So how do we respond to that? Today, as I said, those traps are going to lead to our response. So first of all, I've got a personal response, and then I've got a prayer ministry response. There are lots of things to remember, so many so that I put them on a slide. So, in terms of a personal response, that I want you to consider where you are right now, what, what you are facing, what, what you know is coming around the next corner, because we normally know. And I want you to ask three, these three questions. Question number one, am I staying patient? Or am I fighting impatience? Great question to ask. As you stare that obstacle, that challenge in the face, am I tempted here by the impatience? Or am I going to stay patiently on the promises of God? Question number two. Excellent question. Is this a good idea? Or is this a God idea? Trust me, we can save ourselves a lot of time and grief and hassle if we get the answer to that question right. Again, remember, what, what you're facing tomorrow, what you're dealing with tomorrow, what you're trying to solve and fix tomorrow, is it a good idea or is it a God idea? Guess which idea is going to occur first in your head? You might have got that hint from the story. How many years was it? Lots. Question number three, these are great questions. We should ask ourselves these questions all the time. Question number three, am I trying to do it myself, O ye of self-sufficiency and self-reliance? Or are we leaning on God? Guess which one's going to take us to a better place. Okay, so for personal responses, we worship in a minute. Perhaps the worship team might like to come up. It'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Save ourselves a minute or so. While they're playing and ministering a song, which is called Waiting Here For You, the hint is in the title, ask God those questions. 
Am I staying patient or fighting impatience? Is it a good idea or God idea? Am I trying to do it myself or am I leaning on God? And then I thought, you know what, it would be great to have some prayer ministry opportunities. I know that you're welcome to go over there and see our lovely prayer team, whatever you're dealing with, that's no problem. But I just thought there might be one or two things that might sort of spark prayer ministry. Again, thinking of that initial story, Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, Abraham, all they were dealing with. The question is really simple, the first one. The question is, are you stuck? Because they were stuck. And I suppose it's when we get stuck that all these other questions start piping up, isn't it? All the traps, all the temptations. If everything was smooth and we were sailing forward, it would be no problem. The problems start when we are stuck. And it may well be that one or two of you in this room today feel stuck. Whatever situation, relationally, career-wise, personally, spiritual life, whatever it is. If you are stuck, then I would encourage you to go and see our prayer ministry team and they will pray unstuck prayers over you. That's a real thing, by the way. It is now. Prayer ministry opportunity number two. And I've written like, like this. Are you reeling in the aftermath of trying to force it yourself. You know what I mean? You tried it, you rolled up your sleeve, you thought, you'd just leave this to me, God. I'll take over here. I know this is a tough one, but leave it to me. And it's all kind of tumbles like a set of dominoes. We've all done it. No criticism, no judgment. If you're in that place right now, reeling in the aftermath of trying to force it yourself, I can do it then you know our prayer ministry team would love to pray the grace of God over you. And then I have a third one, because all good things come in threes. Uh, The third one is, are you struggling in the waiting? Are you struggling in the waiting? We're all waiting for something. Waiting is not easy. We're about to sing about it. But are you struggling in the waiting? You need direction. You just wish God would kind of show you what to do next and there seem to be a few immovable objects in the way. If you are struggling in the waiting, come and see our prayer ministry team and they will help you pray through some of that.